Welcome. This is Raul Lowry Contreras. This is the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the United States of America, Issue 108. Thank you for being there. And we have much to talk about. Perhaps one of the most important things for many of us in the United States is the fact that the Jackson Clarion Ledger newspaper in Jackson, Mississippi, as reported, and I've seen this on television too, but I just want to give you my source, that Mississippi lawmakers, and that's mostly Republicans, in the state house and in the state senate have voted to take the state flag down, which includes the Confederate battle flag, the stars and the bars. The governor has indicated that he will sign the bill when it gets to him. The House vote was 84 to 35 to consider the question, and the Senate vote was 36 to 14 to consider the question. Now, since then, since that vote, then they have voted to pull it down and to have the, um, uh, the flag redesigned, excluding the Confederate part. Now, this flag was not created during the Civil War or even after, immediately after. It was created in 1894 at the very peak of white supremacy in the South. That was the same year that the Supreme Court considered and then ruled that separate but equal schooling was perfectly constitutional. And, of course, the separate but equal philosophy then dominated uh, the entire country, much less uh, the South where blacks were put into a very, very minus position, negative uh, situation, which they didn't even begin to get out of until the 1960s. And in fact, the the decision by the Supreme Court in 1895 to uh, allow separate but equal schools stood until the Earl Warren Court overruled it in 1954 in Brown versus Board of Education. But even then, uh, much not much was done. Eisenhower integrated uh, schools in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, but John F. Kennedy and um, uh, Lyndon Johnson did very little. They uh, interfered or they intervened in the University of Alabama and University of Mississippi situation. Uh, Kennedy did. But uh, other than that, they didn't do anything about desegregation. It wasn't until Richard Nixon became president in 1969 that the Department of Justice went after it and essentially wiped out separate but equal schools. Now, under the old law, uh, the schools have reverted back to almost all black and almost all white situations, but that's because of geography and residential patterns, not because of law. All right. Uh, the other day, President Trump was on the Hannity show. They did a, a, a program in, from Green Bay, Wisconsin. There were about 50 people sitting in the audience. They all had masks on, by the way, but Hannity and President Trump did not. Uh, they had uh, uh, an hour, and Hannity asked a very important question. And you have to wonder, what is going through President Trump's mind? Hannity asked the president for any second-term priorities that he might have and plans to implement in his second term, which is coming up on November 3rd. President Trump did not answer the question. 
He said, basically, that he knew nothing about being president when he became president and that he had never done this before and that uh, he has had has surrounded himself with great people in his administration. The, Washington, the uh, uh, Wall Street Journal wrote, Trump has no second-term agenda. Everyone is wondering if Trump has already given up and knows that the chances of his being reelected are slim. Here's one of the reasons why. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, based in California and covers nine western states, including Hawaii, declares that Trump stole money. That's a street term for misappropriating or misspending appropriated funds. He stole money from the military to build his wall on the, uh, on the southern border. By a two-to-one ruling... The Ninth Circuit Court says Trump violated the Constitution of the United States. That clearly states the president can't steal money. He can't take appropriated money, appropriated properly by Congress for something, and use it on what he wants to use it for. The court said that violated the appropriation clause of the Constitution. The power of the purse lies with Congress only. Here's what the court said, quote, these funds were appropriated for other purposes and the transfer amounted to drawing funds, that's quote unquote, from the treasury without authorization by statute and thus violating the appropriations clause, unquote. Another quote, therefore, the transfer of funds here was unlawful. Now, California Attorney General, who was one of the leading uh, plaintiffs, or at least the state of California was, said, uh, has, and he has won more of these cases against the administration than the administration has won. That should be kept in mind. He said, quote, Today the court reminded the president once again that no one is above the law. While the Trump administration steals public funds to build an unauthorized wall at the southern border, Families across the country are struggling, unquote. Supreme Court has stepped into the abortion fray, only this time they did something that no one was expecting. Well, few people were expecting. More people thought that this was the case that would, would allow the court to limit abortions more than they're, than they're presently done. The state of Louisiana passed a law that doctors who perform abortions had to have entry uh, uh, permission or certificate or whatever it is uh, from the, a local hospital within 30 miles uh, so that admittance, uh, so they could admit patients that had complications. Texas had a similar law a few years ago, and the Supreme Court threw it out. Okay, so here we go again, only this time. Uh, we've got two new justices on the court appointed by President Trump, and people were expecting that uh, maybe a five to four decision upholding the Louisiana law. Well, that's not what happened. It was a five to four decision, yes, but Chief Justice John Roberts voted with the liberals to do away with the Louisiana law. What this means is, with President Trump in very serious re-election trouble, very serious re-election trouble behind in almost every single poll by 10, by double digits, 
if he can't get reelected, then a, Joe Biden will get reelected. He's not going to appoint an anti-abortion conservative uh, on the court. So this is it. This is it. Now, if if uh, Trump gets reelected, uh, then he would appoint uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Is just can't last much longer, and uh, yeah, that would then be the uh, tipping point. But if Trump can't get reelected, then there's no chance, and we are stuck with abortion as it sits on on the woman's choice, uh, whether we like it or not. So the court is doing things that the that the um, Trump administration and conservatives uh, couldn't believe could happen after Trump has appointed two people, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, to the Supreme Court. Washington, D.C., yeah, well, it wants to be a state, and it has wanted to be a state for a long time. And this time, uh, they got a vote in the House of Representatives of 232 to 180 to allow Washington, D.C. to become a state. No Republicans voted for the bill. One Democrat from Minnesota, Colin Peterson, voted against in a heavy, but he's in a, in a uh, district that is at least 50-50, and he could lose his seat easily to a strong Republican. Washington, D.C. has 705,000 residents, mostly black. Home rule came uh, to Washington, D.C., came in 1974. Before that, the uh, president uh, appointed the mayor, and uh, the Congress actually ran the town. Uh, but uh, home rule came in 1974, and they've been sort of running their affairs since. Now, what are the arguments against statehood? Well, uh, Tom Cotton, a senator from Arkansas, Republican senator from Arkansas, says that, uh, and this is funny because this is a Harvard guy, a Harvard undergraduate in Harvard Law School, and he says really stupid things. He said, Wyoming, compare D.C. to Wyoming. Wyoming has more people working in mining and, and blah, 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 and all that. But it turns out, of course, most of the land in Wyoming is owned by the federal government. Most of the people, the biggest employer is the federal government. And so, uh, you know, it's it's probably more dependent on on the uh, on the Congress for money than uh, than Washington D.C. is. <laughs> but anyway, he says uh, uh, his brain is frozen back in the 50s, even though he's not that old. Uh, but he's thinking like Orville Faubus, uh, you know, segregationist that. Uh, uh, you know, he's against uh, tearing down uh, Confederate monuments, and he's against Washington, D.C. The argument is very simple. If Washington, D.C. were to become a state, that would be two senators added to the 100 we have now, and they would be Democrats. And so this is a political thing. Now, the whole argument is silly. The Constitution itself set aside the Washington, D.C. as the national capital. The Constitution's very clearly stated there. But if the if the founding fathers had wanted it to be a state, they would have done, just set it up as a state to begin with. But they didn't. So the simple thing to do here is if the people of Washington want to have be able to vote for congressmen and senators, fine. Annex it to the state of Maryland or the state of Washington. Washington, D.C. is split into two parts by the Potomac River. Part of it, most of it's in the Maryland side, 
and some of it is on the Virginia side. So, okay, just annex it to one of those states, and then they get to vote for congressmen, and they get to vote for senators, and the issue is done. Solve the problem, Congress. Don't act like a bunch of idiots. Speaking of idiots, the Orange County Democratic Central Committee, or the Democratic Party of Orange County, California, has demanded or is demanding that actor John Wayne's name, the former actor, name be taken off the Orange County International Airport because of comments he allegedly made in 1971. Yes, John Wayne was a pure, outright racist. There is no question. I met him once and I told him, you're a racist. You're an out-and-out racist and I hate you for it. Nah, I never said that. I didn't meet him in 1964, and all I could do was tell him two things. Number one, my great uncle Frank, and he used to drink together. Because I remember Uncle Frank. Yes, I didn't realize he even had a nephew. I said, "Oh yeah, uh, great, a great nephew." I says, and secondly, you're the reason I joined the Marine Corps. He goes, "Oh, I always thought somebody punched me in the nose for that." <laughs> Anyway, these Democrats in Orange County are a bunch of idiots. They have no idea what they're talking about. I don't care what he said in 1971. The proof in the pudding is how he married. John Wayne married three women during his lifetime. Every one of them was a Hispanic. Josephine Sainz, Panamanian. Esperanza Bauer Diaz, Mexican. Pilar Wilde, Peruvian. That's the proof. Was John Wayne a racist? Are you kidding me? Even I didn't marry a Mexican girl, even though I'm Mexican. Orange County Democrats stuff it. Okay, Princeton University has stepped up to the plate, as long as we're picking on people who lived and died uh, years ago. Woodrow Wilson was former president of Princeton University and then governor of New Jersey, and then president of the United States. Woodrow Wilson was a racist, ladies and gentlemen. So before I tell you what's going on, he was an out-and-out racist. Here is the living proof. Number one, he took a fully integrated civil service. Civil service came into being in the 1880s and 90s, and he became president in 1912. One of the first things he did is he ordered the federal civil service to be segregated by race, where it had not been before from its very founding. Woodrow Wilson was a racist. Twice. Twice he invaded Mexico in two years. You may not have even known that. In 1914, when he had the Marines land in Veracruz and Tampico, and 1916, allegedly to chase Pancho Villa to punish him after he crossed the border and attacked a town called Columbus, New Mexico, and killed, I think, 16, 17 people. He sent the U.S. Army in, into Mexico without permission. He invaded Mexico to hunt Pancho Villa. They never found Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa laughed at Woodrow Wilson. When there was some fighting between Mexican federal troops and, Amer and the U.S. Army, it was a draw, which means the uh, U.S. Army was defeated. Blackjack Pershing, General Blackjack Pershing, who commanded the expedition, commented in his papers, it's documented, 
that when his troops crossed back into the United States, they had their tails between their legs and they looked whipped. What most people don't know is that Woodrow Wilson mobilized the, what was then the new National Guard, 100,000 troops and put them on the border and used the expedition to give Blackjack Pershing and his officers experience in running an expedition in a foreign country in 1916. Why? Because Woodrow Wilson was already planning to enter World War I on the British and French side, on the Allies side. He had it fully planned, even though he ran for re-election in 1916 on the platform of not going to war. Well, he wanted to go to war. He had to go to war. So he wanted his troops to have experience. The Mexicans made him look silly. The ambassador that Woodrow Wilson inherited, the ambassador to Mexico, Henry Lane Wilson, was instrumental in the kidnapping and assassination of President Maderos, uh, who overthrew Porfirio Diaz and was freely elected president of Mexico. Henry Lane Wilson did not like Madero, and so he helped, and he maneuvered behind the scenes. Madero was assassinated, and then a group of Mexican generals led by Victoriano Huerta took over, and uh, then Woodrow Wilson turned on him and supported uh, Venustiano Carranza, he even allowed, Woodrow Wilson even allowed Mexican troops to cross American territory to, for logistical reasons to get from point A to point B. And at that point, uh, defeated uh, Pancho Villa because Pancho Villa went to occupy a town uh, on the border so that he could get supplies from the United States. And he was unaware that uh, Woodrow Wilson had allowed Mexican troops to cross from El Paso to uh, I think it was Agua Prieta, and um, um, set up a defense and surprised Pancho Villa and defeated him. Then it was downhill at that point, which was what sparked the um, attack on Columbus, New Mexico by Pancho Villa's troops, which cost him a couple of hundred soldiers and the anonymity of the United States of America and Carranza, with Woodrow Wilson's support, went on to win, although he himself was overthrown by his his faithful lieutenants, led by future president Obregón. Obregón, by the way, is the Spanish version of O'Brien, so guess what his grandfather was. Republicans are bailing on President Donald J. Trump. Some Republicans, they're joining an active and well-funded Lincoln Project. That's a new super PAC. And then there's another new one called Right Side PAC, P-A-C, founded by Republicans like former Ohio State GOP chairman Matt Borges and former Trump supporter and White House communications director Anthony Scaramucci. They join the Lincoln Project, which is separate, on attracting Republicans to join up and help dump Trump. If they voted for him in 2016, the Lincoln Project is saying, you've got to be disappointed. Join us. Lincoln Project has Stephen Schmidt, who is John McCain's uh, top advisor and 
Kellyanne Conway's lawyer husband, George Conway, and another strategist named Rick Wilson, who you may be familiar with from CNN and MSNBC. Things are not looking good for President Trump. He posted on a, on a Sunday, a, he retweeted a tweet that he found of uh, a parade at the Villages, a senior community in Florida. Signs Trump 2020 caught his eye. And people were yelling and screaming, and uh, it really looked good, except for one little tiny detail. Followers of his, at least one, was clearly yelling, white power, white power. There's no mistaking about it. There it was. Not once, but at least three times. Clearly yelling white power. Trump retweeted the tweet, complimenting the people in the video for being his supporters and for being enthusiastic. Mr. Trump, let me repeat what I heard and what the country has heard every time they've seen this tweet. White power, white power, white power, Mr. President. It's not good. Once again, Donald J. Trump is tone deaf and has, well, maybe literally deaf because his people, including Kayleigh McEnany, his press secretary, said, well, he never heard the white power. He never heard that. All he saw was enthusiasm and signs saying Trump 2020. He didn't hear the yelling of white power. Everybody else in the country heard it. Senator Tim Scott, the only black Republican senator, said on CNN, take the tweet down. Well, it was taken down, but now Trump is running around as people are saying that he didn't hear it. He didn't hear it. Speaking of tone deaf, the president and his vice president are running around saying that everything is under control with this COVID-19 pandemic. Yet in four months, Three times the number of Americans that died in the Korean War have died, more than three times, in just four months. It took three years for 34,000 American soldiers to die in the Korean War. It's taken four months for 123,000 Americans to die from COVID-19. Yet the Vice President, Michael Pence, says, Great progress has been made in the four months. Why, they've got supplies everywhere. they got this, they've got that. In the meantime, people are dropping dead. And Mr. Pence doesn't seem to recognize it, and neither does his boss. It's ironic, ironic that we commemorated the 70th anniversary of the invasion of South Korea by North Korea, June 25, 1950, and then a few days later when President Truman committed American troops to that war, which technically is still on in 2020, 70 years later, because there's been a ceasefire that has been in existence since the 1950s, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to get settled. 
34,000 people died in that war, ladies and gentlemen. My drone instructors, or my three drone instructors in the Marine Corps boot camp, two of them were at the, at, uh, in the Korean War fighting. One of them was at the mighty Chosen Reservoir, the great, great battle in December 1950, where the Marines practically massacred Chinese, invading Chinese troops. A hundred thousand of them surrounded the Marine, first Marine division at the Chosen Reservoir. The Marines fought their way out in the process killing 30, 40,000 Chinese. Anyway, what a way to commemorate the war when we're in the middle of another war, only this time with a virus and people three, one more, almost four times, almost four times as many people have died in four months. And the president doesn't seem to know that. Some of the governors in the United States around uh, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut are trying to say that what they're going to do is quarantine people from other states that come in to, the, uh, to their tri-state area to keep the COVID-19 uh, numbers down. They've been on the way down since they peaked. Uh, they peaked in uh, New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. And so those numbers have been going down. So now the governors, Cuomo and uh, the other two governors, are saying, we'll quarantine people from, st- from hot spots. Well, uh, I'd like the governor of Arkansas. I, he was uh, with uh, the immigration service under President Bush, and he stopped wild men, border patrol guys making their own law. Uh, his name is Asa Hutchinson, and he says that uh, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut can't do what they what they want to do. They can't put restrictions on people from other states. They can't even put restrictions on people coming into the country. Only the federal government can do that. But as far as traveling from one state to the other, we have a constitutional right to travel in the United States. No governor can keep me from going to New York. They can't. And if they go to put me in a quarantine and, and they're not putting their own people in quarantine, then that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. There are three elements to the right to travel. The right of a citizen to move between states. That's in the Constitution. Article 4 of the Constitution. Citizens of one state that visit another state are entitled to equal treatment, guaranteed privileges, quote, privileges and immunities of the state where they are they're entitled to those privileges and immunities of the citizens of that state even though they're from another state and if you want to move into another state they can't stop you from moving there you can establish residence in the new state because you're a u.s citizen and then you're a citizen of the state in which you reside you choose the state doesn't choose that now, there are some some little twerks here. For example, um, to come to college in California, you have to be a resident of California to get in-state tuition. You have to be a resident for a year. At least it used to be that. I presume it still is. So if you live in Yuma, Arizona, and you want to go to San Diego State, 175 miles away, you've got to pay out-of-state tuition. Unless you move to the California side of the Colorado River, 
and live there for a year, and then you're entitled for in, to in-state tuition. That has been upheld by the courts. And the same applies for welfare so benefits. Benefits of the state that are given to residents of the state uh, can be, like I say, limited a little bit, but not very much. Now, as uh, uh, California or Texas, I think it was, tried uh, one time, somebody moved from California to Texas and uh, uh, they applied for welfare benefits and uh, uh, the state residency requirement wasn't met. The courts upheld that, uh, that uh, uh, the state could live down. It couldn't prohibit it, but they could limit it by a residency, residential statute. So, Governor Newsom, the, speaking of California, remember he was one of the first governors to lock down the state and uh, with the face masks and all that. Well, then he's the one that started the uh, uh, lifting the lockdown. And uh, but surges and hotspots have uh, have arisen in various parts of the state. Numbers are going up. So Governor Newsom is stepping forth and closing the bars in Los Angeles and six other counties. They are Fresno, Imperial, Kern, Kings, San Joaquin and Tulare, in addition to Los Angeles. He also recommends closures of bars in Contra Costa County, Riverside, Sacramento, San Bernardino, Santa Barbara, Santa Clara, Stanislaus, and Ventura counties. The reason is that numbers have popped up again on COVID-19 because people go to bars and they sit next to each other and they're not wearing masks and what's going to happen is going to happen. Now, he asked the United States, or uh, uh, President Trump has filed a brief asking the Supreme Court to end Obamacare. Now, this COVID-19 is running rampant around the country, and the Trump administration has filed a brief asking the Supreme Court of the United States to outright end all Obamacare. This is going on while thousands of people are dying of a health problem. Thousands of people are in hospitals and thousands of people are quarantined. Billions of dollars are being spent for medical care. And remember, more than 20 million people who did not have health insurance before Obamacare have signed up for Obamacare or are helped by Obamacare to get health insurance, including protection for uh, our health uh, um, and uh, health help for um, existing conditions, which they couldn't do before uh, without paying a fortune. So all I can tell you is that I met the other day with one of the best political strategists in the state of California, long history of really good election wins in times and at times in which he couldn't even conceive of a victory. And um, we were talking about this, and we both agree that this was perhaps the stupidest thing that Trump has ever done. He should have just let it go for now. But in the middle of an epidemic with 123,000 people dying and more going to die in the, in the near future between now and the election, for him to want the Supreme Court to outlaw or to, to overrule or to throw out 
Obamacare is stupid. Health care was the primary issue why the Democrats did so well in the 2018 off-year election. I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the reason, the specific reason, why Trump is defeated. Speaking of people getting defeated, the European Union, which is not, which is not my favorite uh, organization in the world, uh, we have to go over there and rescue them from fascists and communists, and then they're always, they're always picking on us. The EU has announced that as of July 1, when they lift the ban on people from coming in from other parts of the world, that America will not be on the list of countries permitted to send people to the European Union. Now, as of July 1, because of the hotspots are going on in the United States and their, their peak time in Europe, uh, apparently it was a month or six weeks ago, and it's, their numbers have been going down, their COVID-19 numbers. So they're going to open up because they're really suffering just like we are. This will cost Europe millions of dollars, maybe billions of dollars, because remember who does the most traveling with money? I mean, yeah, there may be more Chinese running around tourists, but they don't have the kind of money that American tourists do. The European Union decision, however, is not legally binding on any individual country of the 28 EU countries. Any country can ignore it. By the way, the Chinese, the European Union is saying the Chinese are, quote, safe. Rwanda is safe. Tunisia is safe. Andorra is safe, if you even know where Andorra is. But the U.S. and Russia are not. Russian tourists are not known around the world to spend big money if they spend any money at all, if they can even travel. But American tourists do. And it appears that American tourists will not be allowed into Europe on July 1 or soon thereafter, or maybe for a while. I've got a couple of complaints here, and then I'm going to talk about Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. Okay, I, in a previous edition or previous issue, I discussed at great length uh, my observations on the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. The reason I do this is because I'm very familiar with that place, that the Caucasus region, because I've been there five times in the past few years. I have written two books about it, about the situation over there. I'm very, very familiar with it. I have stood on the Azerbaijan-Russian border and on the Azerbaijan-Iranian border, at least within sight of it. And, uh, and I've stood within 500 yards of armed Armenian invaders who took Azerbaijan national territory in a war, in a conflict uh, that uh, essentially has been in ceasefire since 1994, however, or 1992. Uh, and uh, but and the one book that I wrote was about a huge war crime of Armenians and, and Russian soldiers that slaughtered uh, hundreds of men, women, and children, unarmed men, women, and children, Azerbaijanis, in February of 1992. I'm very, very familiar with that situation. So I bring it up here because one of the things that I really am upset about is how an American nonprofit 
called the Armenian National Committee of America, ANCA, is a is a an agent for the Armenian government. The Armenian government is a puppet state of Vladimir Putin's Russia. The Armenian army is run by a Russian general. The Armenian borders with Turkey and uh, Azerbaijan and uh, Georgia and Iran, uh, those borders are manned with Russian border guards. Uh, the Armenian army is supplied with equipment on credit, quote-unquote, which means they don't have to pay for it, so they're gifts. And the Russian army has its largest base in the world in Armenia, not in Russia. And I've got to tell you, that really upsets me because the ANCA is a foreign agent representing a foreign country that is not a friend of the United States. Armenians say, oh, the Armenians, Armenians love America. Sure, then why are they a Russian puppet state? Since when is Russia our friend? Now, here's what gets me. A letter was sent by a group of congressmen to the State Department complaining about Azerbaijan's military maneuvers May 18th through the 22nd, four days. 10,000 soldiers, 120 artillery and armored vehicles, 200 missile systems, 30 aviation units, and various unmanned aerial vehicles what the complaint was about. These congressmen in the United States Congress are concerned over $100 million by the U.S. to Azerbaijan for security in the past two years. That's the money the United States has spent with in Azerbaijan to help the Azerbaijan people. This letter of congressmen for uh, complaining on behalf of Armenia says that that aid has emboldened Azerbaijan to become more aggressive and offensive. Aid appears to have allowed Azerbaijan, according to the congressman, to shift resources towards offensive capabilities that are not allowed and further threaten Armenian lives. Quote, the letter says, we urge you to immediately condemn the reckless actions of the Azerbaijan military, unquote. A United States congressman, several of them, signed this letter. Well, here's the response from the U.S. State Department that got the letter. Quote, After reviewing the available information, to date, the United States has not determined that the Azerbaijan military exercises that concluded on May 22 at any point exceeded required, quote-unquote, required notification thresholds. In other words, the Azerbaijanis were transparent. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And this is when we're going to do it. Quote, the nature of the training and equipment provided, parentheses, example, radars, patrol boats, diving gear, X-ray scanners, underwater surveillance, and uh, to visit, board, and search, and seize capabilities on water, is such that it does not contribute to the offensive capabilities of Azerbaijan and cannot be misused to threaten Armenia or regional stability, signed, quote, unquote. Signed, Mary Elizabeth Taylor, Assistant Secretary of State, Bureau of Legislative Affairs. Yet those congressmen were weeping and whining that Azerbaijan was not telling the world what it's doing and it's threatening Armenians. 
the U.S. State Department, and I just read you the words. These are quotes. It says, nah. Since when do diving, does diving gear threaten Armenia? Armenia doesn't have any sea coast, ocean coast, or even a major inland sea like the Caspian Sea. It has nothing. Yet this equipment that she itemized is for use by the Azerbaijanis on the Caspian Sea, which the whole country fronts. Well, thank you, Mary Elizabeth Taylor, from Assistant Secretary of State. We gladly accept your information. Okay, I want to talk about Abraham Lincoln, a New York Times columnist, Jamil Bowie, wrote, quote, Neither Abraham Lincoln nor the Republican Party freed the slaves. Slaves freed the slaves. Emancipation was something they took for themselves, unquote. That is the stupidest thing an American citizen has ever written. Jamil Bowie, you're an idiot. There is no way that slaves could have freed themselves. Some did by running away. Some did that were protected by people like Harriet Tubman and the, and the uh, railroad, uh, underground railroad to Canada. Yes. Some did, individuals. And there were two or three little rebellions, Nat Turner in Virginia, for example. But nothing was done. And there were intellectuals like Frederick Douglass, a former slave. Yes, there were blacks involved in the abolition movement. Yes, but the key to the abolition movement, two things, sympathetic white people and white people money. White people's money. The most influential anti-slavery act or item that helped create a nationwide disgust about slavery was the book Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. It reached literally, literally hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions. That was the tipping point on the abolition. That and William Garrison and wealthy support from white people with money that brought the abolition movement up into a place where it created a, a, a junction, an alliance with a brand new political party called the Republican Party that was founded in 1854 in Wisconsin. Its goal, its political goal was to stop slavery from moving out of the South into other states. It was to stop slavery from expanding. That was the entire political platform that brought the Republicans together in 1854 and 1856. They ran John C. Fremont, former army officer, perhaps liberator of California from the Mexicans, he ran on an anti-slavery, don't expand ex- slavery platform. And then when he was defeated in 1856 by President Buchanan, along came Abraham Lincoln, who started campaigning 
and had this famous race for the Senate against uh, uh, Senator Douglas, and then was nominated in 1860 by the only six-year-old Republican Party, and he won the election. He didn't carry a single southern state, not a single one. But he carried enough of the rest of the states to win the presidency. Yes, there was more than one Democrat uh, um, candidate. And so Lincoln won with less than 50% of the vote. But he did win. And in the process, remember this, he made a speech in 1858, two years before he was elected president, that a house divided cannot stand. Now, that's a biblical phrase. He pulled it right out of the Bible. It's not original. But he said it, and it became the basis for the Republicans to win the presidency and end slavery. Now, this guy, Jamil Bowie, says that the army, the only contribution the army made to freeing the slaves was, quote, it delivered the news of the Emancipation Proclamation, unquote. Now, is that, an, is that stupid? Is that idiotic? Mr. J Bowie, you're an idiot. I'm not calling you an idiot because you're black. I'm calling you an idiot because you're an idiot. You are an I.D. I-O-T, idiot. If the slaves freed themselves, what the hell was General Sherman doing? Going from Tennessee through Georgia to the sea, destroying everything in his way, whipping the Confederates every time one of them raised his head, and then headed north and did the same thing up to Virginia. From South Carolina through North Carolina to Virginia. He not only cut the Confederacy in two, he demoralized the Confederate's government, the Confederate citizenry, and every single Confederate soldier because William Sherman, General William Sherman, the brilliant, brilliant general under orders from his boss, General Ulysses S. Grant destroyed the Confederacy. The man is still my hero. I wish I could have served under him. He cut a swath through the Confederacy 20, 30 miles wide and left nothing behind him except freed slaves. For this guy in the New York Times to make this, these comments are ridiculous. And, and he is a perfect example of what's wrong with this Black Lives Matters uh, movement. I've got to say, he is a perfect example of what's wrong. I'm around people, and I hear them. They don't like looting. They don't like violence. And they, in their hearts, support the general movement. They support police reform. They support Black Lives Matter. What they don't support is violence. Looting, arson, shooting, none of that is necessary. Let me tell you something. That cop that put his knee on, a, on the black man's neck that eventually killed him, who's now been charged with murder, that cop did more for the contemporary civil rights movement than a thousand white protesters, then a million white protesters. That cop did more. 
if anything comes out of this, which eventually it will, it may not right away, but eventually it will, it will be because of that cop and eight minutes and 46 seconds that he had his knee on a black man's neck that killed him. Abraham Lincoln, to think, to think, to conjecture that things would have been better without Lincoln? No. Slaves wouldn't have been freed without Lincoln. The United States would not have been held together without Lincoln. The United States would have been the United States of America and the Confederate States of America. There would be no United States of America today if it weren't for Abraham Lincoln. People can quibble. I remember in the Marine Corps, well, in the reserves, actually, we got a new lieutenant in uh, that joined, and he was from, and he, he was sent up to my section uh, to see what, uh, where we could use him, if we could use him. He was uh, studying for his teacher certificate just off of active duty, first lieutenant, and he had a draw. I said, where are you from, lieutenant? And he said, uh, Alabama. I said, oh, where'd you go to school? So University of Alabama. I said, oh. And then we got to talking, and uh, he overheard me say something one day about about uh, the Civil War because I was really into it when I was. That's when I was in college and uh, reserves on the weekends, and um, and we got to talking about it. And I had just read the case, uh, 1870 uh, case of uh, Texas versus White, I think it was, uh, which the Supreme Court ruled that it was uh, illegal, unconstitutional for states to even try to secede. And uh, I said, oh, no, the states have every right. Uh, he jumped in. He said, oh, no, the states have every right to secede. I said, no, they don't. The Supreme Court said that there is a, the process on how to become a state that's clearly written in the Constitution. But there's no process to leave the United States. Therefore, it's unconstitutional. And then he came back to, oh, no, if it's not mentioned in the Constitution, then it's legal. No, 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 no. If this, the, the difference is that there were carefully laid steps in the Constitution of how to become a state. Therefore, to be balanced, the Constitution would have had to lay out a process for leaving. And it didn't. It doesn't. Therefore, they could not secede. And then became an insurrection and a rebellion. And the United States Constitution is organized in such a way and states flatly that the United States government will protect and guarantee a Republican form of government in each state. In each state. A Republican form of government means free elections. And uh, uh, it must meet all the constitutional requirements, including obeying the Constitution. Anyway, and this was in the 1960s, and these people were still, this is a, an educated man, a former, well, a, a Marine Corps officer. And here he was arguing that the southern states had the right to secede. They didn't. But the man that stood in the way was Abraham Lincoln. He paid for it with his life. But he gave us the country. It's a toss-up between George Washington and Abraham Lincoln as to who the best president is in our history. Flip a coin. You'll be right half the time. Thank you for being there. And this is Raul Lowry Contreras. This is the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the USA 
thank you and we'll be with you next time